Welcome to that Good Good Experience podcast. Where related minds talk about related topics. And we all just happen to be related. Buckle up, this is going to be a good one. We've got that good good experience podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another round of the We Got the Good Good Experience podcast, a podcast where related minds talk about related topics and we all just happen to be related. Hi again, I'm Marcus Moses, and I cannot do this without my cousin co-host, Kimmy. What's up? Marcus, darling. What's up, good, good family? How we doing today? Hey guys, it's been a while, and I can't do this without my other cousin co-host, Mr. Byron B. No Brown. What's good, good, B? What's up, Marcus? Hey, Kimmy, and all of the sunshiny people out there. What's good, good? Let's get this party started right now. Right now. Absolutely. Right now. Hey, guys, this week we're going to be talking about one-hit wonders. Okay? Again, guys, the songs that we heard from artists, and then after that, we don't know what happened after that, but however, <laughs> that those particular, these particular songs left an lasting impact on our lives, and we're definitely <laughs> going to celebrate them today. But before we get into that, we got to get into our good, good segment. This week, we have two great interviews from two celebrities. One is one of the hosts of the Pivot podcast. He's also an ESPN analyst and a former Super Bowl champion for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mr. Ryan Clark, and also television analyst for ABC and ESPN, Mr. Rod Gilmore. So here's our good, good segment with Ryan Clark and Rod Gilmore. Check it out. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen, with a good, good experience, good, good segment. I have a very special guest here with us. Uh, he is a former safety for LSU. He's also an ESPN analyst, also a Super Bowl champion of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he has the second best podcast in all of the internet next to the We've Got the... the <laughs> I had to think you like that, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, guys, you can hear him also with Fred and Channing Crowder on the Pivot Podcast. Please help us welcome Mr. Ryan Clark. How you doing, Ryan? Good, brother. How are you? Great, great, great. I'll get right into it, man. I know we only got a little bit of time. Just quick, quickly, if you can, just talk about the grind of the student athlete as opposed to when you were playing as to now. You know, kids having to try to balance practices, football games, and education. Is there a difference now as opposed to when you were in college? I think, I think a lot of the work is the same. Uh, I'm uniquely qualified to speak on this. My son is a junior at Arizona State. Uh, he plays ball, um, and he does it the way I did it. You know, he spends a lot of his time at the facility. He goes to the academic center to either work on his, his tutoring or take his classes uh, because there are some online classes you could do. And then a lot of those nights when I text him or FaceTime him, he's in those meeting rooms watching film. And so what you're asking the student athlete to do is put the sort of time in that a professional does in order to be great at his craft, but also go to class, also go to school. And I think, I don't believe people understand the difficulties of that, right? When you look at the graduation rate of student athletes, it's actually higher than non-student athletes. Right? Wow. So wow. that lets you know how difficult it is to just graduate on its own, much less trying to excel at a sport, which takes the allotted practice time, the allotted meeting time, also any extra time that's needed for you to reach your full potential. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I want to go into the NIL. I don't know if you knew 
or heard about it, but the Georgia High School Association, as of next year, will allow basically student athletes to make money through NIL. This is a two-part question. First and foremost, do you think NIL is, has kind of leveled the playing field as far as collegiate athletes are concerned? And also, what's your take on high schoolers being able to make money off of NIL? I think the first thing, it, it leveled the playing field in the sense that it's just legal for them to cheat now. Mm. Right? Like money was, money was being passed, but now that it's NIL, you can recruit that way. Right. When you go on a recruiting trip, you're going to get set. They're going to sit you in the office and talk about how much money the people that play your position make. Right. The, the right. next right. that goes to Texas, he's going to see Eli Arch Manning that he makes two point eight million dollars. His projected NIL is two point eight million dollars and he ain't going to pass. Right. Right. right? He's, the, he's the backups backup. Right. Right. That Shadur Sanders makes what he makes. Caleb Williams makes what he makes. And so I think it has leveled the playing field. And from that sense, but it's still on level with the fact that Texas A&M could pay you more than anybody. Right, right. right. Texas, so and so that there's still that from a parity standpoint. And when we talk about high schools, listen, I think everybody should make their money. Like if you can make it and they're willing to pay you for it, then do that. But the reason you want the collegiate athletes to be able to benefit is because Collegiate athletics is a $20 billion business. Right. What high right. school is making money? Exactly, exactly. So you, you don't think it should be regulated in any kind of way as far um, as uh, – I think it should have been regulated from the beginning, right? I think the right. should have been involved. Mark Emmerich shouldn't have washed his hands of the entire situations. But how do you bring it back now, right? Because in order to regulate it, there's going to be some sort of cap on NIL deals, which means yeah. – there has to be some sort of minimum. Right. And that minimum Absolutely. has to be for everybody. If you're going to tell Shadur Sanders he can't make upwards of $3 million, you got to tell me why. You got to right. tell me what do I get personally or what do we get as a whole and as a collective, which you can't do if you don't give these young people a voice. Right, right. right? Who's speaking up for them? Who's talking on their behalf? And I think those are all things that have to be worked out before you take the next step. Absolutely. I want to kind of switch gears just a little bit, talk about safety, which is basically yeah. why you're wearing in Washington. The NFL had the big lawsuit several years back as far as like uh, CTE, the brain trauma yeah. going on and whatnot. The NFL has tried you know, over the years to try to implement some type of safety protocol, the concussion protocol, to try to preserve players, try to keep them healthy as healthy as possible. Do you think that the NCAA has done enough to try to protect these players as well, and especially in the case with NIL, with these players starting to make more money and people are starting to, excuse me, the players are starting to not go to the NFL as quickly because they're able to make money in college. So do you feel like the NCAA has done enough to protect these players as well? I think they're trying. I mean, you look at, like, it's a freaking targeting call every hard hit. Absolutely. You know, they, 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 they seem to try to protect them from – the medical standpoint during the game. The protection that college players need is what happens when I get hurt my senior year and I also need treatment and rehabilitation the next year. Right. When the school is no longer covering me. What happens when the emotional and mental stress and trauma of choosing a school, getting injured, not playing, my dream going to the wayside, when I have to find a way to be rehabilitated from that. Where right. is the NCAA in that? And so right. I think when you look at the health and safety 
of college players, it, it can't just spend the three to five years that they're playing at the universities. It needs to go beyond that. And as of now, I think that's where you can use NIL and say, okay, you want to regulate NIL? How are you going to take care of me as a person then, both while at school and when I'm done? And I think that's what having a voice can allow these young student athletes to have. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, finally, I just want to ask you, I saw an incident with a player that signed an NIL deal, but in so many words, it put him in debt. So he signed the deal in the hopes that he would go to the NFL. As the NIL deal thing progresses, as it gathers more momentum going forward, do you think the NCAA needs to put something in place to protect the players so they don't sign those type of deals where they're penalized by so much money? They don't care. Wow. If they care, they would have advocated for it before. If they care, they wouldn't have tried to keep players from benefiting from their name, image, and likeness so long. Right. And then having been forced to by Congress, they wiped their hands over and said, states, you handle it. Absolutely. Not, the NCAA could have done something. They didn't want to. And now they want to do something because the coaches are mad. Absolutely. Because they're trying to figure out why can this school get all this money or why can this school get these players through this money and we can't. Right. That's why Absolutely. they want to regulate it. You want right. to regulate it because Angel Reese could get rich. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, I, I definitely agree. Just my last question. I said it was my last question. Do you think it's taken away from, from the, do you think it's taken away from college football, the, the uh, wholeness of it, you know, so to speak? Do you think it's taken away from it? No. Okay. Everybody still loves it. Everybody watch the games. It's the reason all those people show up to Colorado. It's the reason LSU rents out an entire park a lot in Tuscaloosa tailgate. They still Absolutely. love it. They don't care how it gets they don't care how the product gets to the field as long as it does. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very, very busy. We really oh, appreciate man, no it. All right. Love the Pivot Podcast, all right? Thank you so much, bro. Have a good one. All right. And welcome again, ladies and gentlemen. Got another special guest. He is a former football player. Played several years in the NFL also. Played at Stanford. And he's also a television analyst. Please help us welcome Mr. Rod Gilmore to the show. How you doing, Mr. Gilmore? I'm good. How are you? All right, great, great. I don't want to hold you up too much. Like I said, you're in Washington along with others. Talk about safety precautions as well as compensation for collegiate players. My first question to you would be the grind for the student athlete. Is it the same now to you, in your opinion, to you as it was back when you were playing at Stanford? No, I, I think the grind is different. There's so much more pressure on players today than when I played, and that is tied directly to you know, the, the revenue generation, the, the scheduling of games. When I played, you know, most of your games were Saturday afternoon, occasionally a Saturday night game. But the schedule, because of, you know, the influence of television, you know, uh, the games changed. The amount of time that's devoted to the sport has changed because all the money that's been spent on Taj Mahal football facilities, players are there pretty much 24-7, it seems like. So the pressures are different. The time commitment is greater now than when I played. I like that analogy used with Taj Mahal Stadiums <laughs> in lieu to the new stadium uh, yeah. in college football. And you mentioned money, which is the next question I want to go into with you. I'm not sure if you, did you, if you heard or not, the Georgia High School Association is going to allow NIL for high school players next year in the state of Georgia. Yeah. My first my first question to you is, do you think NIL in the college level has leveled out the playing field 
And what do you feel about high school players getting paid for the name, image, and likeness? Well, listen, name, image, and likeness, you know, every American has the right to monetize their name, image, and likeness. You know, whether you are a child prodigy with the piano, an actor, or uh, or anything, an athlete shouldn't be treated any differently. So to me, I don't care if you're in high school, if you can monetize your name, image, and likeness, you should have the right to do so. And I think that is going to become the norm eventually across the country as state by state seems to be moving in that direction with their high school athletic associations. In terms of uh, leveling out uh, the playing field with NIL, I think to a certain extent that's happened at a certain level. I think with a lot of the the mid-level teams, not your elite teams, but in that second level where you can get a few key players and it can take a team that was maybe a six and six team, it can take them to eight and four or take a, a seven and five team to a nine win team. I think it makes a difference there. So I think in that in that instance, you're talking about some leveling out. But when you're talking about, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, your top three, four teams perpetually, I don't think name, image, and likeness has leveled the playing field at that elite level yet. Absolutely. Now, uh, to kind of switch your gears just a little bit, several years back, you know, the, the big settlement with the NFL and uh, the people that suffered from CTE caused the NFL to kind of change how they do things as far as concussions is concerned. Do you think that the NCAA is doing all it can to protect its players? I think the NCAA has made a lot of improvements, a lot of changes. I know that fans are unhappy about all the targeting calls that happen during games, but that is an effort by the NCAA to keep players healthy and reduce concussions. So I think that is one thing that is that has happened. There's been also an attempt to limit the amount of contact in practice so that you reduce the number of hits that can also lead to concussions. So I, I think that's happening. Can more be done? Yeah, more can be done. And I think more studies are being done as to what they can do. Eventually, they will probably follow more of an NFL model and try and reduce contact even more. But there is this balance, you know, of you have to teach players to tackle too so that they are safe so you can't ban all contact so so it's a little bit of a dilemma there absolutely uh, my last question mr gilmore there have been instances where there have been some contracts you know pending that that player is going to the nfl and they you know been kind of set back a little bit you know signing some pre-nfl contracts and where in essence they're losing money as opposed to gaining money uh, do you think that because of be NI, NI of deals that they've signed is what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, do you think college football needs to have something in place to protect those players who from the uh, from the bogus deals? So uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the NCAA and the universities are abdicating their responsibility here to, you know, help them provide services to their players. They should be allowed to do that if they want to help provide you know, legal services to players so that they're educated about these deals, they should be able to do that. But right now, none of that is happening. So, and the other part of it is that you don't have a players union where they could provide that service. In some way, shape or form, there has to be some entity that is available to these athletes where they can get help so that they aren't duped and aren't hurt and aren't financially set back going forward. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Gilmer, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And continue doing the great work that you do. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, that was our good, good segment with Ryan Clark and Rod Gilmore. We want to thank them for taking the time out to be with us today. 
And now, without further ado, guys, look, one hit wonders. What do you? I mean, what do you think about a one hit wonder, Byron? You, what do you think, man? Hmm. <laughs> I think music longevity for one song, of course. <laughs> It's a strike of luck. It's that one opportunity for someone to have that moment. And maybe they continue to make music and just didn't hit the mark or they fell out of the limelight altogether for whatever reason. I think of many things when it comes to one hit. There's so many factors behind them. Definitely, Kim? Well, we have to first look at what is the criteria or the regulations that actually deem somebody a one-hit wonder? Is it a one-hit wonder on the pop side or is it one-hit wonder on the R&B side? That's one thing. But yeah. sometimes a one-hit wonder on the pop side isn't really a one-hit wonder because we still hear their music on the R&B side all the time. Mm. So yeah. a lot of factors were taken into consideration. However, we've got our favorite, our top five favorite one hit wonders here on the We've Got the Good Good Experience podcast. And we're going to count them down for you guys, starting where Kim. Well, before we do that, let's go into what our criteria was. You remember? Oh, well, yeah. honestly, with me, is it was it a song that I like, but we never heard of that person Again, after that, they may have had an album or something out, but it didn't get promoted or something as much as the original one. How about you, Byron? Well, my criteria was that they had to have hit the top 20 on a chart, whether it's R&B, hip hop, pop or whatever, more than one time in order to not be a one hit wonder. And so that's how I sifted out many artists and some of the artists that we've talked about we're going to be talking about today to me are not necessarily one hit wonders because they're you know they continue to make music or you know they just had a, they have a nice longevity career with hits with me i'll just say that but exactly. because they didn't hit the they didn't hit the criteria based off of what status quo would consider a hit they're considered one hit wonders exactly was it a hit to you That's right <laughs> The same thing deal with Kimberly for me. It was like, okay, uh, was it that artist that had that one hit that everybody knew that everybody played and you really never heard from them again after that? That was my criteria. But like I said, you know, there were a lot of things that we took into consideration. And that's how we came up with our list this week for one hit wonders here on the We Got the Good Good Experience podcast. So, hey, I'll, I can't think of nothing else to it to do but to get into it and kim where are we starting first we gotta start off with the oldie but goodie rockwell somebody's watching me yeah when i'm in the shower i'm afraid to wash my hair because i might open my eyes and find someone standing there people say i'm crazy just a little touch but maybe showers remind me Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorites from 1984. Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. Rockwell is an American music artist, and this song was released on a Motown label in 1984. It was his lead single from its debut studio album of the same name, and it features guest vocals by brothers Michael Jackson, 
in the chorus and Jermaine Jackson on additional backing vocals. And the song became a major commercial success internationally, topping the charts in Belgium, France, and Spain, and reaching the top five in Canada, West Germany, and the Netherlands, New Zealand, you name it, all over the place. In the UK, it reached number six, and it's Rockwell's only top 40 hit in, on the UK charts. Now, here in the States, it did very well. It went to number two on the Hot 100, number one on the U.S. Hot Black Singles chart, number two on the U.S. Cashbox Top 100. It was number three on the U.S. Disco Dance Top 80 Billboard charts, which is now equivalent to the club or dance charts. 31 on the top tracks. And and that's it. That's it. That's it with, as far as the charts. Now, where is Rockwell? Whatever happened to him? And, you know, why is he only a one hit? Because if you did not know, his name is Kennedy William Gordy. Yes. So, yeah. Barry so Gordy. Barry, Barry Gordy's son. son. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh, why, because I was trying to figure out how did this man get Michael Jackson and Jermaine Jackson to sing back up on his song? That's how. And he was friends with them from, from the story that I heard. He was friends with them. And actually, when he presented the song to Barry Gordy, he didn't present it as himself. He didn't didn't tell him who it was because he didn't want to have that type of favoritism, so to speak. So that's how he got the deal. It was something he did on his own, but he brought it to his father's label. Now, where is he now? <laughs> well, on November 29th, 2018, he was arrested in Hollywood for allegedly beating an associate with a chair at the Magic Castle Hotel after she approached him and demanded payment. He was released from jail on December 1st of 2018 on a $30,000 bail. And on January 7th, the woman who suffered multiple injuries from the attack had and had undergone surgery to repair a broken arm filed a lawsuit against Rockwell in Los Angeles for personal injury, claiming damages exceeding $25,000, allegedly. So sad. Let's just tell the truth about it, uh, guys. The only reason why this song is even a hit, let alone a one-hit wonder, is because of the greatest himself, Michael Jackson. I mean, mm -hmm. do you guys know the? Do you really guys? Do you guys really know the uh, verses to the song, or do you mm -hmm. know the? Chorus? I'd always feel like somebody's watching me. I mean, let's mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah, I know this whole. I know the entire song. It's, a, it's who, it was who, one of my favorite songs at that time. Who, 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 huh? Who asked you? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was deep in the videos I was I was mentioning yeah, yeah. earlier. There are two different versions of the music video, too. They look very similar, but there's a scene in the music video where blood starts spraying out of the shower and it goes, Oh, what a mess, or whatever. And it went in, in the original version, when he says, Oh, what a mess, they flash on the on the tub and see all of the blood in the tub. But later they stopped showing that version. And when that part comes on, you see the mailman waving or the zombie guy waving or whatever. They flash to that instead. And there's a couple other scenes that are a little different. So I was wondering if you all had caught that difference. Well, nobody caught it with you, Bob. I promise. <laughs> if you were watching MTV like we were, we we noticed it. We did. We I did. Didn't, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But needless to say, you, you, like I said, if it wasn't for Michael Jackson, I, I don't think the song would even be remotely talked about as a hit, let alone a one-hit wonder. No, nah, I, I, I stick by that. You know, Michael Jackson really made this song. I agree. Uh, 
Uh, and needless to say, it is a one. It is a hit. It is a part of the soundtrack of, of our lives. And uh, it's just uh, also, I'm glad you picked this Byron for the simple fact that we are in Halloween season, mm-hmm. and they play this a lot during this season. Season, yeah. so it kind of fits into what we got going on right <laughs> now. And uh, just so you know, it we entered the charts in 2021, the UK charts. It hit number 47. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. So he's still making money off of it. So good, good for him. I mean, he had other singles after this one, but this was the only one that went to the top. Okay. What's next, Kim? Next up, Gregory Abbott, Shake You Down. Shake You Down. Uh, I've been missing you. And the way you make me feel inside, what can I do? Yes, I do. Now give me just a little Guys, that was Gregory Abbott. Mm-hmm. Shake you down. It was released in August of 1986 from his self-titled debut album. It charted very, very well, to say the least. Top of the of the Black R&B singles chart, as well as the top of the Billboard Hot 100 charts. It was ranked as the number three song for 1987. It peaked at number 13 on the UK singles chart. When you think about One Hit Wonders... This this particular song, this particular artist would be would epitomize one hit wonders because Gregory Abbott, after this particular song, we literally, literally, well, he did appear on Young and Restless, but you wouldn't have known who he was unless you just knew who he was, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But this particular song, this particular artist would definitely fit the criteria for one hit wonders because we never heard from Gregory Abbott, not from the music side at least, ever again. Well, actually, we did. He did come out with more music after this time frame. He, I remember him releasing something like in 1988 time frame, seeing the video and him promoting it on BET. But this one really was the biggest. I mean, no one really paid any attention to him after that. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody knew this song, man. To say the least. Mm-hmm. Shake you down. Like I said, it's just a shame to say that, you know, he was able, wasn't able to follow with the success. But needless to say, you know, he, he did. It was saying with this one left it a lasting impression. You you hear this all the time on your quiet storms, on all of your bedroom soundtracks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is just one of those songs that just you just have to have, to say the least. Kim, what you say? From what I understand, Gregory Abbott purposely followed a formula where he was like, I want to put out a hit at least one so i can live off that sucker for the rest of my life and he did it that's what i heard yeah and this song i think what made this song popular because it has that i call it the discovery sound and the discovery sound is what i throw in songs like this and marvin Gaye's. let's get on not let's get it on uh, sexual healing they all have like that i call it like the discovery almost kind of like a 
Caribbean flow mm. to it or whatever. And that's just my vocabulary for it is the, the discovery song because there's other songs that kind of have that that element. And I'm like, okay, I can see the, the influence. So I think that helped it maintain its longevity because you hear it now. I mean, they play it a lot. on. I mean, they still play it regularly and it fits in. Doesn't sound like it's from 1988, 86 or whatever. But to piggyback off that, he did release, like he was releasing like music through 1988. And that's kind of when, well, he charted music through 1988, but he was releasing music through like through like 2011. But there were years in between releases and nobody really paid any attention to him. This was, I would say this is his biggest hit, but he had other songs to hit like the top 10 of R&B. Like he had, um, I got the feeling it's over and I'll prove it to you. But this is what he's known for. Shake you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, known for. And again, we want to thank Gregory Adam for his contribution to the uh, black culture as well as the R&B culture. And uh, again, this is a, definitely a staple in the one hit wonder community. What's next, Kim? Next up, Glenn Lewis. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. Don't you be afraid, cause a heartbeat away Cause all that and everything that's ever meant will mean to you Don't need to cry, you can try your eyes Cause you can count on the love through the years Help you face your fears and subside your tears Everything will be okay don't you be afraid No, 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 no La, 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 la Don't you be afraid No, baby Glennon Ricketts Jr., professionally known as Glenn Lewis. He was actually Canadian-born, and he earned a Grammy Award nomination in 2004 and has also won a Juno Award out of a total of six nominations. Lewis reconnected with Andre Harris and Vidal Davis, Dre and Vidal, the producers of his first album, World outside my window in 2009 and on December 14, 2010, a popular soul music website leaked the song Good One, leading Lewis to officially release the song that following week. Then on April 29, 2013, Lewis debuted his single Can't Say Love, which was number two most added at the Urban AC Radio, but I believe that was Canadian radio. So he's still doing some things out there, but nothing compares to this song, Don't You Forget It. I mean, and quick question, who does he sound like? Stevie. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Especially on that riff, like mm-hmm. that vamp. Yeah. Kind yep. yeah, of like over the like uh, uh, Marvin Gaye. You know, he's just like uh, Stephen Wonder. It's just a shame that this guy with all this talent, you know, he only had that one, this one particular song. Uh, I really thought that Glenn Lewis at some point was going to be, you know, that guy to kind of like 
shoot towards the stars and, and have like a spawn like these a bunch of hits um back to back to back but he never did kind of like a carl thomas did you know when carl thomas came out he, he didn't just have one hit he had several hits mm-hmm. off the album and, but, but he had an engine behind him too right but, but you know we didn't hear too much from him after that you know we had a couple of songs here and there but we didn't hear too much from him after that mm-hmm. after summer rain and all some of those hits that he dropped but uh glenn lewis he really had a gem here and i thought he would be able to follow up with it but he never did well he continued to release music to me he seemed very consistent i just think he wasn't properly marketed here in the u.s i don't know why canadian artists some canadian artists find success here in the united states you would think because we're neighbors that it would go hand in hand and but for some reasons a lot of these canadian artists don't establish that longevity in here in the united states because um, uh uh-huh with the exception of drake the greatest rapper of all (laughs) So Can't Say Love, that was his single that was uh, released in 2013. That missed the top 20 R&B, adult R&B. It hit number 21. That was the one in 2013. And actually in 2017, he did collaborate with DJ Jazzy Jess on a concept album with Mm -hmm. playlists called Chasing Goosebumps. Mm. So he's still still doing the work in the background. But again, it's not reaching that same... Right, he's not hitting the mark. But his other song, It's Not Fair, I thought would have been a stronger song. You all remember that one? I don't think nah. I remember that one. Then he had an up-tempo track that was that was popular for a minute, but it wasn't pushed, pushed. But, you know, you had to have been like, you had, you had to know who he was, so to speak, or be a fan of his music to, I guess, catch it. And you know- another thing is the music industry is very cutthroat right now. Oh, what has been for the past 20 years. So if you would cut throat be the word? (laughs) I I think it is. I think it is. It's some extra stuff. (laughs) It slits your throat. (laughs) So, I mean, because if you're not on the right label, if Mm. you don't have the right backing, if your producers Mm. aren't even trying to market you, then Mm-hmm. You're just making music for yourself. You know what? And that is wrong. nothing's wrong with that because, you know, yeah, a, lot of art, a lot of artists have gone that independent route and that explains why they are. And I guess that's with Glenn because I think he's more independent now. But that that explains why we don't see a lot of people out in the forefront. You know, JoJo, of all people. You remember JoJo, the singer? Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was locked on that black, uh, on Aaliyah's uncle's label, tied up with that and she had to re-record all of her music independently so that she could break free from all that and you know finally she's starting to you know re-emerge as a consistent artist but she continued her craft through that time i mean that was just one little example of how people are maneuvering these days Absolutely. and it's a good thing man. but just just to put it out there you know drake does have a new uh, single with uh scissor called slime you out wiggity whack Ah, uh, whatever, man. What's next? Wiggity, wiggity. <laughs> okay. wiggity, wiggity, wiggity. But speaking of, you know, you did not get to talk about your precious Drake in our series. So we may need to do a part four so you can talk about your boy because you did not include him. I'm not going to be that shady. He, he has contributed to the culture. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Yeah, he's contributed, but uh, he's not one of the greatest. He's okay, 
remains to be seen. Okay, we're gonna hold off this conversation no. for part four. It yes. apparently has to be one. Okay. <laughs> but, but if you want hype, yes, put it up there in the hype. Hype. Okay. <laughs> we we had that we head in the wrong direction. Let's, <laughs> let's table this till part okay. four. This is gonna right. be a whole episode. Okay. <laughs> bring it. Bring it. Yeah. No, I appreciate what he does. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hate all the all the way like that. It's too late, Byron. What's next, Kim? <laughs> next up, <laughs> next up is Mokin stuff. He's mine. Might have had him once, but I got him all the time. Okay. <laughs> On the good, good. On the good. Wasn't out too late. Took you to a room and you gave it up too soon. Played you like a trick. Caught you let him hit. Now he's coming home. Oh, baby, don't try to take it. That was my song. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> but it's my line. We're not on a date. Wasn't out too late. Played you like a trick. Caught you let him hit. Mm. Yes. That's those are that's a fighting song. It's like a, great a sweet, a sweet fighting song. Hmm. Great choice, man. I love. Oh, it. thank you, thank you, thank you. This is like one of my favorites from eighty ninety four. I think it was that was out nineteen ninety four. But let me just run into tell you about this song. He's mine is a song by R and B group Moken Steph. That's a trio out of L A. Made of three members: Monifa, Kenya, and Stephanie Moken Steph. That's where the name comes from, and it was released as the first single. From their debut album, as is, it was the group's biggest hit, peaking at number seven on a U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart during the summer of 1995. I got the year wrong, 1995. It has sold almost a million copies, like like 600,000 copies, and was certified gold ever since. And the song samples Be All Right by Zap and Do Me Baby by Prince. A remix by Grand Poopa, which is also one of my favorite samples, Patrice Russian's Remind Me and Dougie Fresh and Stick Rick's Lottie Dottie. There are two different videos for this song that were released. The original version was filmed and released in May of 1995. The second version of the remix was filmed in September of 95, released in November. This song had super longevity when it was out, hitting number seven, as mentioned, in Hot 100, number two on the Hot R&B singles chart, number 70 on the UK singles chart, but ultimately number 40 on the Hot 100. What do you all have to say about this one? This, uh, this, joint, <laughs> uh, this joint was a jam, man. Like, like for real, for real. Like 1995, that's probably the song, the R&B song of the year of 1995. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show how females in R&B really are able to light things up. You know, you had those groups like Jade. You had mm. 
You had Moken Step. You had what's another one? You had uh, Love Jade. Oh gosh. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the guy that said Get O U T? Uh, you had uh, what's the what's the two girls? Oh, uh, changing, faces. Changing, yeah, faces. changing Faces. Changing Faces. Changing yeah. Faces. Man, you had all these female R and B groups coming out uh, in the nineties, and they really did their thing. I just hate Moken Step wasn't really able to follow up the success that they did with this one because I I think this one was probably man I mean the production and the words mm-hmm. and yeah the whole general idea of the song man I mean it really really left a mark on the R&B world I just hate that they got those guys really weren't able to kind of follow up because they had the talent I'm not mistaken Monifa actually did she did she um have some solo projects on her own later on Monifa um I don't recall her having any projects, but I know they were doing some stuff separately because, you know, it was more of that label issue that they were, the Def Jam, that was the main issue. And they came back together. I saw them recently, like in the past, like two or three years doing promo as a group. I guess they were on a tour, the 90s tour or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of like the trend right now. A lot of these uh, groups from the 90s are joined to get joining forces to try to do like tour all over the world. And I try to relive some of the the the, uh, the fame that had, yeah, the good old days, man. You know, which I do appreciate. You know, I'm mm-hmm. gonna catch some of them here shortly. But Moki Step, you know, like ah, I, I just hate it for him. I, I really do. This was Baby a- Come Close was another single that I loved by them, and it was on. You know, yeah. if you haven't heard that entire album, check it out because they they had solid production on their on their music. They did. They really did. Yeah. But now, who just was producing them? Ooh, it was a list of people that produced yeah. them. Let's see. For the As Is album, it's not a lot of information. Oh my gosh. Of course, all uh, of this will be that's edited. part of the reason why yeah. we haven't heard from them because they, 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 were, they didn't Def, have they the were, right. Yeah, they were at backing. Def Jam. Yeah. They were in Def Jam. Mm hmm. Okay. So, yeah. but that's part of the, like, like we were talking about before, you could be at one of the best production companies, music companies, but if they don't have, a real I don't know if they don't really feel that you have that longevity for them they'll get that one hit out of you and then keep it moving and they and they play it to death and they keep it moving play it to death and then keep it moving and keep it moving yeah it's interesting there's not a lot of information oh actually you know what they break it down here on Discogs that's another great site to visit everyone Mm -hmm. Big Ham Vic C Chris Purim. I'm trying to think of anybody big, big. Madball, Tony D. I'm not I'm not familiar with them. Those are the main producers. Chris Purim. Yeah. Let's see. Um, don't nobody know them niggas. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know them. That's why. But I'm it was there. solid. It was we solid. Heard from it was solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was solid. <laughs> but anyway, needless to say, they, they made that mark. They did the thing. What's next, Kim? Next up. Mark Morrison, Return of the mm. Mac. Your love mine. She said she'd never turn on me. Your love mine. What you do, what you do. Your love mine. All this pain you said I'd never be. Your love mine. But I do, but I do, do, do.
That's my jam. That's my jam. Return of the Mac. Wow. That's a song written by, and recorded by British R&B singer Mark Morrison, who's actually a German-born British singer. Uh, and this is the song that he's best known for. And it was released by WEA and Atlantic as the third single from his debut album by the same name in 1996. The song topped the UK singles chart a month after its release, then became a European and Australian hit. In the United States, it reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and went platinum. All right. So this was like, you couldn't get away from Return of the Mac that year. And it's still one of my boppers, so to speak. Whenever I hear the song, this falls under the Discovery sound as well that I mentioned before. Can you hear the, mm-hmm. the similarities with mm-hmm. that? I know. I, I hear it. Yeah. So I, I love this song. It takes me back to a very pleasant time. Yeah. When it was out, that was a, it's still a happy, 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 happy time for me. It reminds some, me of summertime. Yeah. But I remember it, you know, it came like, I guess like late winter, early spring. You started at the, at the time I was up in Rhode Island. So they were playing it then. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And before you knew it, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it played all the time. All the time. But, Byron, I wanted to ask you, man, you, you keep mentioning the word, the discovery type music and whatnot. And, and, and like when you say it and you listen to the song, I hear what you're saying, but kind of, okay. if you can, just kind of describe what you're talking about, discovery. So I call it the discovery sound because it's like you're having an epiphany. It's like, oh, it's also the the way the the, the way the sound it of those songs are. It's like you're coming into realization or something, and it's like you're having an epiphany, a sigh, or whatever. That's why I call it. I dubbed it the discovery sound because that was the only way I could articulate what it it means to me that sound would means to me. And I hear it repeatedly or in other songs, other songs, and it may not be due to influence. It just, they happen to have that same sound. A, but a lot of encompasses that sound. Yeah. It, it, it's it, like, like, it's like you're having like an a epiphany. little bit of a reggae. Yeah. A touch of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's like a reggae influence, like sound is usually, I, I hear it on a lot of reggae, influence songs like uh, i'm trying to think which shaggy song has it i'll have to come up with a whole list of all of the discovery songs like there's several but yeah it just has like that like you're coming into knowledge of something you're it's an epiphany and it's kind of like a song that the sound that would go along with that ah moment i got you i got you Oh, uh, Myron will probably you. understand me, right? Because we had our own little <laughs> language. <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only way. That's a, my best way of articulating it to you guys. All right, gotcha. What's next, Kim? Next up, Junior, Mama used to say. Mama used take, to say. Take your time. When will I go up? When will I see why? Great yes. times. 
That was Junior with Mama used to say. Again, that was released back in 1982, February 1982. Again, another song that would definitely be epitomized as a one-hit wonder, as that was probably the that was the only song that Junior released. Well, not the only song, but the like one the song that made it big. This one released again in 1982. It reached the UK singles chart. I uh, remained at uh, number seven for two weeks. It was also a top 40 here in the United States, earning Junior a Best Newcomer Award from Billboard magazine. The song was ranked number six among the top 10 tracks of 1981. The highest it did was number 30 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number seven. Again, I just, th- this song just makes you want to dance. This makes you feel it good. It makes you feel does. good. It, it, it does, man. Puts I mean, me in a great mood what, every time I hear it. You know, and, and it reminds about, us of our mama. It does remind you of your mama. It does. It, it reminds does. me of <laughs> hanging out with you all down in Blakely mm, it does. and all that. It does. Oh, my gosh. Great yeah. times. Or driving it, down to Blakely. Mm. Always a road trip part. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. It, if this podcast could have its own soundtrack, I think that would be that particular song. Top would, 10. Uh, be in the in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I can't go wrong with this song. Like I said, I I hate this. We have to classify this one here wonder, but I mean, needless to say, you know, Junior didn't really do anything after that. He had the song but, "Too Late, Too Late, Baby, Bye Bye." You remember that? I remember. <laughs> yeah, vaguely, but I mean, needless to say, I mean, <laughs> not my version of it, but <laughs> even though it did not make the 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 list or or was played as much as mama used to say mm. but i do remember the mm. song mm. great choice yeah, marcus uh, excellent choice yeah absolutely again like i said i mean i just love the song the song just makes you want to dance just makes you feel good just just everything about it is just yes what's you know going what? on with junior anybody know i thought he died recently no junior? No, Junior did. Don't do that, Kim. I could have sworn he did. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. He, he was from to... the UK, I think. Well, he was an English singer. They say uh, a British singer, English singer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Norman Washington Jr. just come. He's still uh, he's still around. And uh, most recent album was released in 2020. It looks like the last song to chart was like in 92. But of course, not here in the US. His success was mainly up through 1984 here in the United States with Mama used to say being the highest chart topper. He did have another top 20 unison that was on a dance top 20 track. But yeah, Mama used to say that's across the board worldwide, his biggest. Yeah, again, um, I love this song. Again, it's just a classic staple of, 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 our, uh, of our lives. There's not a good, enough good things you can say about this song, to say the least, for the most part. Whatever, next, what's yeah. next, Ken? <laughs> Next up is Sunshine Anderson. Heard it all before. Heard it all before. <laughs> See, I heard it all before. All of your lies, all of your sweet talk. Baby, this, baby, that. But your lies ain't working now. Now, look who's hurting now. Look who's hurting I had to shut you down. Your lies ain't working, lies ain't working Look who's hurting 
Messing up my shit and, and violating me Got me about to call my peace And take it to the street Yes And there's nothing Okay, I'm sorry You hate me to stay with you Another day To the point of no return <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard it all before. It's a debut single by American singing artist Sunshine Anderson from her debut studio album, Your Woman. And this was back in 2001. It was written by Anderson, Rashawn Scherer, Chris Dolly, and Mike City, and produced by the latter. Released as the album's lead single on February 27, 2001, it reached the top 10 on both the UK and US Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles and Tracks chart, while peaking at number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Kim. Uh, what? <laughs> this is like, this song right here, I this know, song right here, what like, drew me in song? immediately, <laughs> What's that? Walk up, walk up, walk up with the guitar. Uh-huh, I, I used uh-huh. to love I like that, that I like as a that. kid, you know, like in the seventies or whatever. And when this song came out, it immediately hooked me, and I was just obsessed. I remember the first time I heard this, and the way the DJ brought it in, he just played the instrumental. I'm like, "What is this mm-hmm. song? Oh my gosh!" Then the vocal comes in. I'm like, "Ah!" Oh. And I, I just had to find it for myself and get it for myself. I love, 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 love this song. They used to play the mess out this song. At the Not time that mind. it came out, I was actually living in Charlotte. So, you know, they played mm-hmm. the mess out of this song. And I was but, excited um, for her, too. She was a, yeah. she had, had a lot of charisma about herself. She was um, actually under Macy Gray. Macy Gray. Um, I was it's, just it's, reading it's, that yeah. a second ago. I didn't know she was managed by Macy Gray. Yeah, I didn't that's know why that. she's in the video. Yeah, make that appearance in the video. Loved it. And Mike City, if you don't recognize that name, that's a moniker. Actually, his name is Michael Flowers. But Mike City actually uh, was a major producer. He did I Wish for Carl Thomas and, of course, heard it all before. He produced Full Moon by Brandy. But he's also right now a major house music producer. He does like a lot of underground house music right now as a vocalist. That's Mike City under that name. Absolutely. What about you, Marcus? No, no, no. Yo, you guys haven't talked about this song. Oh, my oh. bad. Hey, you know what, man? I mean, was R. Kelly in the video? No. It wasn't? No, that was Okay, I, I get I get her and Selena Johnson mixed up. I think Selena uh, Johnson. Yeah, was, I can see that. Yeah, uh, uh, Heavily influenced by, by R. Kelly as opposed to Sunshine Anderson. But this song was kind of like an anthem for women back in the early 2000s. It was. For, you know, for the treatment of men. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be treated a certain way and whatnot. That element, but... It was a great song to say the least, you know. And then I hate that, you know, Sunshine Anderson. She's got the perfect name too. Sunshine. I know, I know. I mean, Sunshine made Richie leave home in, in, in Harlem Nights. Because you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you throw it up in the sky and turns to sunshine. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> but um, in name. September of 2010, Ashley Anderson announced on her Twitter that her new single "Lie to Kick It" was released on radio. So she actually had a third studio album, "The Sun Shines Again," which was released November 2nd of 2010 on Verve Forecast Records. But we didn't really hear much about it she was briefly managed by matthew knowles and it was kind of interesting like during that time frame it seemed like he was trying to but he had revamped her image and how he had her like appearance it seemed like he was trying to make her look like beyonce a little bit but even though 
she couldn't. <laughs> she couldn't. Just with the hairstyling and, you know, just how everything was marketed. But nothing ever happened. I think that's probably why she immediately left him because she didn't see that success that she was expecting to see under him. Um, not everybody is Beyonce. I'm sorry. Not everybody's Beyonce. No, not even Blue Ivy. <laughs> don't be talking about Blue hey! Ivy. Don't be talking right. about my Blue Ivy. But Marcus, we here. We're, we're yeah, we see, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone, Kim, but I mean, just, just no. Because already- I heard the ultimate, and, and I had to get somebody together recently. Well, I wouldn't say get together, but we had a we had a debate because because Tina knows that made this comment and they made the same thing. They said, oh, she reminds me of Aaliyah. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no. Aaliyah was Summer Breeze, and when she danced, she still hit the moves and it was a certain kind of way. She wasn't just... Yeah, Aaliyah couldn't naturally have that yeah, the, kind of yeah, yeah, she that, had that, that style swag. and that yeah. swag. Yes, yeah. that's the word. She had that swag with her moves, you know. But shout out to Blue Ivy. I saw your progress, Blue. I saw your progress. I saw the progress too. I ain't and seen I'm going to celebrate Blue Ivy as well as Beyonce, even though I'm not a member of the Beehive. We got to give big ups. I mean, she's doing her thing, so we can't yes. we can't overlook that. Yes, and I don't want to get in trouble with the beehive, so let's keep it moving. Fuck the beehive, please. Ah! That, yeah, whatever. Hey. <laughs> go sit down over there. That's what I'll tell them. Go go sit down over there. <laughs> Put your headphones on and enjoy the music. What's next, Kim? Next up, speaking of blue, let's go on the blue clan trail. Hit them up style. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you did that. There goes the dream queen. Y'all gotta excuse me. I tend to get a little caught up with these when these songs are playing, and I just get taken away. This is like one of my favorite songs. So, <laughs> one of my. Speak <laughs> it, Byron. I'm ready. Come oh on. wow! Well, hit 'em up style. Oops, it's a debut single from American R&B singer Blue Cantrell. It was written and produced by Dallas Austin and featured on Cantrell's debut album, So Blue. It was released in the United States in April of 2001 and issued in other regions later that year. And it is Cantrell's most successful single here in the U.S. and her only single to enter the top 40 of the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number two, where it spent two consecutive weeks. And on the same on, on the issue date of July 21st of 2001, it has enjoyed similar success in Europe and also in the uh, Oceania areas of the world what do you all have to say about blue cantrell as well as this banger hit him up style blue cantrell man was probably one of the strongest singers in the early 2000s that we had she could make a voice like a jazzy voice she can she has so much range but after this particular song i don't know what happened man it's so disappointing man i mean 
Blue Cantrell was could add every had every opportunity to be like the next Anita Baker or something. She just had that voice, man. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me why she never really materialized it to the artist that we heard in this particular track. And so, needless to say, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Blue Cantrell, I mean, definitely a gem, a hidden gem that we never really got the full the full talent from, to say the least. Yeah. She's, Picture uh, it. Yeah, go ahead, Kim. Picture it. Summer <laughs> of 2001. Me and my girls, Keisha and Shalanda, driving from South Carolina to Miami in a car that had no air conditioning. Wow. Mm. And this damn song played every hour on the hour. Y'all dancing spit. <laughs> By the time we were on our way back from Miami, this song came on, and I just so happened to have a water gun in my purse. And I took that gun and put it against Keisha's head, and I said, if you don't turn the station right now. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a true story. But, yeah, Blue Cantrell, she ain't no damn Anita Baker. I don't know where you got that from. But, but, yeah, they played the hell out this song, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Sounds like Kim. She could blow, though. She has a strong voice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that song "Breathe." That oh, that was mm. yeah. Or not just that. Mm. Sleep in the middle. Have you heard "Sleep in the Middle"? I yeah. Sleep. Remember that one? That's a good one too. She really showed her range of vocals in, in that one as well. I think what Kim's issue is, they played this song a little too. They much. didn't play it all the freaking time. Yeah, oh, TR. It was a staple on TR, but, but not TRL. But uh, what is that? One hundred six in Park. But this is the thing. I figured it was two thousand one because they played. Sunshine Anderson, and mm-hmm. they would play this. But I didn't get tired so much of Sunshine Anderson, but I got tired of this song. <laughs> wow. I just love the flow of it, how she sang yeah. it. and But I was a little confused because when she came out with her sophomore release, it's it like the marketing, I think they were confused because they had her looking like Faith Evans. It's like oh, they were, they were, they, that's she what they looked, were trying she, to do. Yeah, she looked just like Faith Evans. So the only thing that saved Blue from not being mistaken as Faith Evans, she has blue eyes. So that's the only thing that her appearance. She and I think she was like linked her. to Jay Z at one. I think wasn't there some drama with her and Jay Z back in the day? I do not remember. There was some other drama behind the scenes that had gone down. And I believe Jay-Z was part of that. Like, they were dating or something, and he did something to the left. But anyway, we, mm. that's that's all alleged. But I do mm. recall some rumblings of some type of drama like that. Mm. Uh, well, that remains to be seen. Again, needless to say, again, Blue Cantrell left her mark. This one is a one-hit wonder. And we'll leave it at that. What <laughs> next, Kim? <laughs> next up. One of our favorites, Johnny Kemp, just got paid. Check the mirror, I'm looking fly. Sound up the posse, jump in my ride. Radio rocking, a monster jam. Feel the rhythm, pump up the sound. I'm feeling so good. Don't you know I'm just moving to the 
my gosh, just got paid. Don't you love the sound of that? Don't you love the, those words to say that? Just got I paid. I know. I know. that. That's just, just an affirmation. That's all yeah, I it makes you want to dance paid. in the streets. <laughs> more money. More money. I love to hear that every Friday. Yes. The Friday hit, I need to hear the song. <laughs> the phrase, the song, all together is just a, a banger to me. This song was released in 1988, and it's the single by Bahamian R&B singer, the late, great Johnny Kemp. And it was an instant slash, in, instant slash, no, instant <laughs> smash. The song hit number one on the U.S. R&B and dance charts and reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. You could not escape this song in 1988. You could not. It was everywhere. What do you have to say about this song? I want to add on to what you just talked about, Byron. This song was produced by Teddy Riley. Yes, it I is. I was about to say that. Yep. I, I and, thought so. You can hear the and, Teddy Riley sound, the new jazz right. swing of it. And actually, I saw a documentary. This song was actually made for Keith Sweat. Yeah, and that oh. would have gone over. No. Yeah, yeah. So no. you don't think so? No, no because this song needed needed a, needed <laughs> the right attack. And that's exactly. not the type of singer that Keith Sweat is. He, you know, it's like a balladeer. Yeah, all I can hear is... Just got paid. Yeah, I mean, he's done, even though he's done, even his up, yeah, 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 even his up tempo songs don't have like that attack. And this, you know, you just got paid. You got to sound like you just got I'm, paid. I need some uplifting. I need, I need you to have some, yeah. some action, some, 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 some ump to your, to your voice. I don't want to hear you whining about just got paid. It's nothing to whine about. Yes, yeah. I, right. Not a whine song. We, you know, you ain't gonna whine about getting paid. You wanna. Oh, we happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, you know, I mentioned he's a late, great singer. Johnny Kemp was found dead on, on April 16th, 2015, off the coast of Montego Bay. Based on the investigation, they're saying that he is believed he was walking on some rocks, lost his balance, fell, hit his head, and then drowned. And it was during that time frame, he was actually scheduled to perform on the Tom Joyner Foundation hosted annual Fantastic Voyage Cruise as a performer. I'll never forget that. I remember then mm -hmm. hyping it and then, you know, then having to break the news. So it was a sad time to hear of his passing. Mm -hmm. Definitely was. And again, on this particular song will live on forever in the, in the R&B Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. say the least. I get Johnny Kemp, you know, with the banger. One hit one of his own was just got paid. What's next, Kim? Next up, Janelle featuring Method Man, round and round. Yeah, I bet you did. That was uh, <laughs> 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 that was Jonah with Round and Round uh, from the 2001 hit that was found on producer High Tech's album High Technology, the remix. I uh, featured a guest appearance with Method Man and as well as Method. I think Redman was on the track too. No, it was just Method Man and 
and it appeared on the How High soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Jonelle was set to release her debut album, Know Me on the Deaf Soul label. Her first single, So What's Up, featured a guest appearance by Redman. However, the album was never released, and in 2005, her webpage on Deaf Soul website was no longer accessible. She resurfaced in late 2005 with a blog on MySpace where she talked about working on her new album, which never materialized. And I think with saying all that, this that is probably the first and the last time we have heard from Jonelle, to say the least. What do you guys think about this one? I used to like this song. It's yeah. Hit. Yeah, I used to like it. I never really considered it a hit, but R and B radio, yeah, R and B radio played it a lot. Uh, played it a lot. And a lot of the mix DJs, the you know, the hip hop DJs and the mix shows, it, it was always a, a go to. But yeah, it never registered as like a standout period. But I'm curious, there's no real information about Jonelle and I'm I'm curious to find out what exactly happened behind the scenes it's i guess it's a typical case of an artist just getting shelved and getting caught up in politics mm. i guess or the label mm. and getting, having yeah, a sit. we don't even know if she's i mean from based on the information that i've been trying to dig up on her i don't even know if she's even alive or, or what's going that's, well that's, i haven't heard any reports of her passing I mean, I, mean, I mean she was she was notable enough so if she passed that I, 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 I think you know they were I mean she worked with you know Method Man and Red Man I mean that was a high profile track I mean this song had two lives as a as a regular version and then with I think when Method Man was added I was considered the remix of it mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. um, right yeah I remember seeing the song this song playing on 106 and Park mm-hmm. uh, it was 106 and Park mm-hmm. uh, with three. So, I mean, the song had star personality to it, but it just, that was the only thing that Jonelle had. And like I said, it was good you know, enough for me. I yeah, mean, you, she, she, I, remember, mean, she, I put her in the same category as Davina. You remember Davina? Yes. Had that song So Good? We, so good, uh, she, yeah. She said she should have been on this one too, but we, we you know, no, none of us. I had her on here, Byron. And I just, huh? <laughs> you said what? I had her on here. Oh, you I did? Had, no, no, no. What, yeah. what happened? Well, I mean, we can we can talk about Davina and we can add it in right now if you want to. Let's go. Yeah, Yeah, because you all remember the song. I actually bought Davina's album back in was same here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just how good that song was. I went and bought her album of all people that came out. I went and bought bought Davina's album. You know, I remember the, she had the dreads and the uh, right. the red gold cap, you know, yep. on the on the on the front. You know, so you know I know you know I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I have, um, a, I have the same but, album. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I put them. They have similar sounds to me. I mean, this this kind of fell in that same vein. The, both songs were heavily played and pushed by hip hop DJs. You know, it was the the vocal songstress filter in between rap songs, and it just fit the urban flow perfectly and it was earthly they both had that earthly mm-hmm. earth earthiness to it that gave it edge so both artists i mean especially davina had had edges about them and davina had a certain je ne sais quoi that i'm surprised didn't really didn't catch you know mainstream but that's fine we we'll take her off mainstream we i mean underground or whatever i will enjoy both artists that's right absolutely absolutely what's next kim next up another one that did not get their due is Christian Full of Smoke. <laughs> good one, man. This is as good as it gets as I take another hit, sugar. 
was a vibe. Ugh. Yeah, it was. Christian was American male R&B record production duo from San Francisco Bay Area, composed of brothers Kenny Ski and Alan Anthony. Briefly signed with Infrared Music Group, they contributed for Mr. Mike, 3X Crazy, and Lunez before they released their debut single, Full of Smoke, in late 1996 for Rockefeller Records, mm-hmm. which peaked on number 53 on the Billboard Hot 100, but number 15 on R&B Songs chart. Mm. Yeah, um, this comes at a time where uh, Rockefeller Records, they were pretty much had the the hip-hop game sold up and they were trying their hands in the uh, R&B genre as well. This was a solid hit, but however, you know, it didn't have match the success as some of the the hip-hop artists would match. I think they had another, was, An- was Anthony, Alan, you say Alan Anthony? Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, Alan they, Anthony. They had another guy. Uh, T. Ross. Sang, all right. All right. Who's saying all right? All right. Baby, don't you cry. What was his name? Y'all know all right. Guy. Yeah. When, when was that? Uh, I fact, uh, Are you sure it was called All Right? It was two versions of it. They had, what's my guy's, the, the hip-hop rapper name? Freeway in it. Hold on, I'll, I'll look it up right now. Hold on. All well, right. While you're looking that up, the single success got the group a deal with... Yes! Alan Records. Anthony P- and Freeway, yeah. Freeway, yeah, see? Okay. Y'all be sleeping on me. I be knowing a little something. So that man. was him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. I was just making sure, because that Alan Anthony sounded real familiar, and I remember him in a video riding a bicycle, mm-hmm. and uh, Freeway, you know, being on, in the, I think it was like two versions, it was an Alan Anthony version, and I think it was a remix with Freeway, so yeah, I definitely remember these guys, you know, doing their thing. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting, just, I guess it just comes, goes to show you, it's a, it's a lot of luck and fate that happens when it comes to like this music industry. Mm-hmm. Artists, we see it every day. Artists with just astronomical amount of talent, not getting any, not even a, a strobe flick. And then you have something way subpar that's just shining and just thriving in the sunlight yeah. all day on in moonlight at night. So that's all you hear right now. It, yeah, it's it's interesting. This was a quality group. I never really considered this song like a hit either, but I like the song. I, I definitely love the vibe. It was very Marvin Gaye-ish. That's all yeah. I like to say, who we sounded like. It yeah, was Marvin Gaye is. Very Marvin Gaye sound. And I really loved the video because Don Robinson, you know, we were just itching for her to make an appearance after leaving in Vogue and, you know, wondering what was going on. And she pops up and she has a new, uh, like an even more edgier look about herself with the, you know, facial piercings and, you know, stuff like that. You know, it was just a nice touch. I don't think that image really fit the image didn't really fit the the marketing that they were trying to take them down as gangsters uh, to uh, me, in my opinion. That may be why it didn't work. Yeah, they were like pretty boy gangsters or something. That's the best way to describe it. Pretty boy. <laughs> That'll never work. Yeah. <laughs> That'll never yeah, work. That, but yeah, it was a catchy song, though, to say the least. Yeah. What's next, Cam? Next up, Gene Carr. Don't let it go to your head. Who? Don't take advantage of my love. <laughs> treat me good, treat me fair, treat me fair. Now that I've given you every part of me, don't let it go. 
This song is like the joint right here. It was originally released by, in 1978. Songwriters, the powerhouse songwriters of Gamble and Huff on the production of this one. It doesn't have any chart information. I don't see any right here. But it was covered by two huge players in the uh, hip-hop community. Brand New Heavy's version was re-recorded, and it, it peaked at number 24 in the UK charts. The Brand Nubian version charted at number three on the Hot Rap Singles charts. Number 24 on the Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles tracks, and number 54 on the Hot One Billboard Hot 100. Again, Sarah Jean Carn, her version. I love her version, to say the least. I mean, yeah, I don't the, version, but I, I love her version. Definitely love her version. Yeah, this song, this this song, so much. Yeah, it's been so sampled. Yeah, this song actually peaked at number 54 on the R&B charts, which is surprising to me because as much as we heard the song growing up back in the day, you would have thought that it would have had a stronger standing or a higher standing. Because, I mean, when I think of R&B radio, classic R&B, I, I, I would have to include this song. Mm-hmm. You know? It just sounds like WBLS. Quite yes, yeah. it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> you and that was. <laughs> <laughs> you would think Marcus was brought up in yes. New, Jersey, New York or New Jersey because he brings the WBLS so much, but he was just so just just enthralled. Yeah. I used to love BLS. Us. When he visited us, he was just like, What is this radio station? Oh my <laughs> like, God. I mainly listen to WBLS to catch the midday mix with John Robinson every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But did you all see her unsong, Gene Corn's unsong? Mm-hmm. No. Don't you oh, you need to check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. It's good. I need to go back and just sit down and watch all the unsung. Because she's been doing some great collaboration. Like, I mean, she's just all around a versatile artist, a, a go-to vocalist that people tap into. But yeah, check out her unsung. Definitely. We'll do that. Definitely. Uh, definitely. What's next, Cam? Next up, one of my favorites, Rude Boys, written all over your face. Mm. Oh. I love- days, the great days. Oh, yes. no, this takes you back to some of the, the best days. I love the time Man. when the song was out. 
So 90s vocal group from Cleveland, the Rude Boys, were making headway on both the pop and urban contemporary fronts. The group consisted of Larry Marcus, Melvin Cephas, and brothers Edward Lee Banks and Joe Little III. And were discovered by who? Gerald Avert. Thank you. Mm. Who helped get them signed to Atlantic Records. Their 1990 LP, Rude Awakenings, includes the single Written All Over Your Face, which made it to number 16 on the pop charts. And 1991 Billboard Music Award won for the Rude Boys number one R&B single of the year. But sadly, of course, our boy Gerald Levert passed away some time ago, as well as Larry Marcus and Edward Lee Banks mm. in 2020. And wow. in 2016. Mm. Yeah. That's, it's just unfortunate, man. I mean, you could just hear, like, the Levert sound in, mm-hmm. in these guys. I mean, it was just embedded in them. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some type of kinship or relation, family relation with Eddie and Gerald Levert to, to these guys as well. You say they're from Ohio, you know, so I think that's where the OJs originated from. Uh, Ohio. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some family relation there somewhere. But again, you can't excuse the Rude Boys and this particular song from what it did back in the early 90s. This song, man, everybody was singing this joint. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, literally. But after this song kind of faded to the oblivion, you didn't hear too much again from these guys. Now, they did have um, Rude House um, that was released in 1992 and Rude as Ever in 1997, those albums. Mm-hmm. But of course, they did not make the 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 charts like written all over your face did. Yeah. Yeah. They, gosh, this song itself, alone to me goes on the shelf of sophisticated soul i would mm. label this with the will downings and mm. um they fall up under that category because you know it wasn't i only call it new jack swing even though they had some you know upbeat stuff it was more of a like a traditional r&b sound and you knew that all of these singers were skilled singers you know they were musicians you know which factored into that success and then just the time the song was out Mm-hmm. just the time yeah. it just made you feel like you could do almost anything you know yeah. because because yeah. they they look like us at that time you know what we were doing as we were coming of age and yeah just love them all together you yeah, know because i'm looking at the time 1990 you had just graduated from mm-hmm. high school and i was about yeah. to so yeah that was a time where we were just like the world is just opening up i was living us. in california i was in san yes. diego yes yeah. yeah, 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 and I made the uh, the little dog, the little roof sound, the roof, 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 because that's, mm-hmm. the, that's, that's what yeah. they did in the video. That's, mm-hmm. the that's what they do in the end, and I, and I ooh, think ooh, they do that ooh, because ooh. when they made this song, I feel like they they knew they had a hit. Uh, mm-hmm. with this one they they knew they had a hit and i think that's where it comes from I, I could be wrong but you know this i like was... at the beginning where they say can you sing this song <clears throat> no i can't sing it today <laughs> I, love, I just love this song yeah. Yeah. Oh. good vibes very good, very good vibes, vibes. Very good good vibes. vibes. what's next kim speaking of good vibes next up is eddie murphy party all the Lord. time <laughs> yeah <laughs> But my girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the time. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the 
<laughs> y'all, y'all saying y'all saying Lord, man, but at the same time, y'all cannot deny the success this song had, guys. I mean, come on now. Be be for real. Party All the Time is a song by comedian and actor Eddie Murphy, written and produced by Rick James. It was the lead single from Murphy's 1985 debut music album, How Could It Be? It reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks behind Say You Say Me by Lionel Richie. <laughs> and guys, come on now. I mean, it was give, catchy. Give, Rick James give, did his job when, yeah, when he produced he did this a good song. Job. He did um, a good job. Yeah, I just couldn't take him. I could. Even when he had that song, Put Your Mouth On Me, because I think that was another big hit for that him. Was, that, was, the that, was, that was another show. Yeah. yeah, I just couldn't take him seriously because, you know, his stand-up act, he talked about Michael Jackson, and I I know it was all for fun and entertainment. And I know Michael Jackson eventually collaborated with them on one of Eddie Murphy's songs, which surprisingly didn't do well at all. But I just couldn't, I just didn't take him seriously as a musician. And he's released like three albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But why can you take him seriously? I mean, everybody else took him seriously. I mean, it did well. Well, first of all, his singing voice was yeah. It, it was it was like okay, so you know, you want to talk about Michael Jackson or whatever. But you sound you trying to sound like Prince or Michael Jackson, you know, the high pitched falsetto that you're singing in, which was kind of laughable to me at the time. But because they played the song so much, it became just yeah, this, like over the top hit. And you know, you saw solid gold dancers dancing to this. You saw Soul Train dancers dancing you to this. I think that's uh, what it was. It's like Eddie felt that his popularity was just going to push this song to be a hit, and it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that doesn't mean that it was a quality song. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a quality song. They played the song all the time. It just didn't do it for me. Yeah. It just didn't. It's a hit, but I wouldn't consider it one of my hits it that I would that I would playlist. go to. Yeah, yeah. But it would fit the criteria for what we're talking about today. One yeah. hit for sure. For sure, at least again. Eddie Murphy, Rick James did their thing. You know that if you watch Chappelle's show, you know the relationship that Eddie and <laughs> Rick James had, to say the least. But I think this is one of those moments where they where they got together and on good terms, where they weren't fighting each other, and they were able to bang out this wonderful hit. So for that matter, that's why I have it on my list. But what's next, Kim? Next up, one of my favorites, D-Light, Groove is in the Heart. Yeah. Your groove, I do deeply dig. No walls, only the bridge. My summer dish, my crocodile wedge. Sing it, baby. I couldn't ask for another. Light was American House and Dance Music Group formed in New York City. The group single Groove is in the Heart, which was released in 1990 from their debut studio album, World Click. I had this album and played Me it too. from beginning to end. It was a top 10 hit in multiple countries in December 2016. Billboard ranked them as the 55th most successful dance artist of all time. The band began in 1986 as duo in New York City with Lady Miss Kier. Mm-hmm. Born Kieran 
Magenta Kirby and primarily on vocals and Supa DJ Dimitri. Yeah. Born in the Ukraine as a DJ and then became a trio when Korean Japanese jungle DJ Toa Tai. Toa Tai. Toa Tai joined the group in 1988. And everyone loves this version plus the version with my boy Q Tip from Tribe Called Quest. Of in course. The of course. Well, that's actually the regular version. Actually, I wouldn't even consider that the remix. That's how we know it, really. This song, that whole album, if you have not, Marcus, if you have not listened to D Dice World Click, please mm-hmm. listen to it. I'll even send you the album. I can just go through the whole yeah. stuff. Who I, was that? Such a, yeah, it's such Who a feel-good vibe, <laughs> good album. That used to be like a road trip album for me. Mm. And this song, this doesn't measure up to what the album is. I mean, this, this doesn't summarize the album. I'll just say that. You know, they're, they're a house dance group. So, But this is like the more popular song on the album than the other ones. They had a few other singles. So I, when they popped up as a one-hit wonder, I was like, they're not really one-hit to me. And they're not to me, but yeah, technically, technically, as far they as, are, yeah. technically, they are. Yeah, because as, as far as charting is concerned, this is the highest charter and none of their songs, other songs, believe it or not, cracked the top 20. Because even though they, they were... They released Infinity Within in 1992. Great but, album. Yeah, but the album failed to chart as high as their debut. Each album they released, they stepped it up a notch. The Dewdrops Drops in the Garden, I think that was their last actual original content album. Then they had like this like Relics album that came out. But each album they stepped it up, but they stayed true to their original blueprint as a dance group. So they, they represented Clubland to the purists. And I truly appreciate them. I miss them as a as a group mm-hmm. uh, i know lady miss care called us up being a dj but she's done some um i guess solo stuff toa tay i think has probably been the most successful out of the three of them because he's had like major projects over the years collaborating with different artists so but can't say anything bad about delight i love, love this song the song speaks for itself just makes you want to every time you hear it, you just you just have to get up and dance movie shoulders to do something you know <laughs> 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 but what's what's next, Kim? Next up is Adina Howard, Freak Like Me. I wasn't I muted. Heard you. I, hear you. I wasn't I hear muted. You. Oh no, no. You that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that was Adina Howard with Freak Like Me from her 1995 album Do You Want to Ride. Uh, the song reached number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart for two weeks, as well as the number two on the Billboard Hot R&B Singles chart for four weeks. Certified platinum by the RIAA for sales with one million copies. The music video was directed by Hype Williams. And in 2023, Billboard ranked Freak Like Me among the 500 best pop songs of all time. 
What say you guys? Pam, you want to take it first? <laughs> yeah. Question is, what happened to Adina Howard? What did we she got hear? Mm-hmm. She got old. No, 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 she, no. No. She's still doing her thing. She's still a prominent artist. No, but no, it's not that she got old. Because after this song, she had other hit. I mean, not other hits, other songs. But she didn't get released or signed again. Partly, I'm not sure if it's definitely linked to it. But there was some scuffle. Between her and Brandy, Brandy. Because she started messing with her man, old dude from Boys to the Meat. Yeah. She took him. Who messed with who now? She snatched him up. Okay. <laughs> well, well was it was mutual. It was a mutual thing. But mm-hmm. Brandy and Wanye were together. But Adina swooped in and got a little bit. And uh-huh. Brandy found out and Brandy has people in high places out there, so people may have lost their deal or their contract. Okay, so in other words, you, you feel like Brandy blackballed Adina Howard's career because she was messing with Wanye Morris, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, because Brandy at that time was just royalty, she like R and B R and B royalty. And well, she still is, but you know, she was she was the gem of the gems at that particular time and to she was like the Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> she, would, she would be this like the, the Taylor Swift. We brought up Taylor. Yeah, she would be like the Taylor Swift today. Before Taylor Swift <laughs> was Taylor Swift, like you know, that's how I saw Brandy because she could do no wrong. She was just like that clean cut image, and you know, everybody just loved her, and she was Moesha and all of that. And how dare you cross Brandy? Go against right. Brandy. But this song, Freak Like Me, even though it was released in January of '95, we were jamming to this I, I was still in college and it was the spring banger you are talking about spring break anything you could not go anywhere without hearing this song that that whole summer through the summer so whoever came up with you know adina and her producers they were geniuses for this track it was what was needed at the time my favorite song by her is not um i think nasty grind outside of this one is nasty grind i think it's called yeah I like T-shirt and panties with her and all. T-shirt and her panties on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. T-shirt and her yeah, panties yeah. on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't deny the success of this one. Yeah. Uh, this was this was a, a hit, a really a really big hit. Said at least by Dina Howard. I think the last time I saw it was on the uh, DJ Cassidy uh, Pastor Mike. She performed this one mm-hmm. uh, back when COVID was doing this thing, and you know, people Aren't those really, great. Mm. Yeah, those was awesome. I, I miss them. But needless to say, again, this was a definite banger by Dina Howard. Yeah. A 1995-ish song, you know. But what's next, Kim? The last song. What? We finished up. The last one is Tooth Hurts featuring Rakim Addicted. Ooh, yeah. My ups, my downs, my high and my lows.
half a gram Now it's kilos of Sinos and high fashion brands We ball like we own the world The only concern is you my only girl And when we speaking in tongues Breathing hard when I'm squeezing your lungs Keep it strong But I gotta hit the streets when I'm done It's joy and pain Yes Truth Hurts, born Sherry Watson mm-hmm. out of St. Louis, Missouri, is an R&B singer, songwriter, and actress. In 2000, Watson signed to Dr. Dre's Aftermath Entertainment label. She first appeared on Busta Rhymes' 2001 hit single, Break Your Neck, as mm-hmm. a backing vocalist. And in 2001, she played a small role in The Wash, starring Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And finally, Truthfully Speaking was issued on Aftermath in 2002, and Truth Hurts enlisted the production talents of Dr. Dre, Timbaland, High Tech, DJ Quick, for her debut single, Addictive which was a top 10 hit in the United States and featured a verse from our boy Rakim. You know, this song was a humbling song. And I I say it's a humbling song because prior to it coming out, Don Robinson from En Vogue was was signed to Aftermath under Dr. Dre. She was supposed to be working with Dr. Dre. And being her beautiful self, expressive and outspoken self, (laughs) she she made the comment that she didn't think that Dr. Dre could effectively produce an r&b album or r&b song or whatever not mindless to say he already done it with michelle you know michelle was part of that but anyway but she parted ways from from that label only for truth hurts to emerge with this gem that they got sued heavily for but nonetheless it was a, a gem and it was unique. It didn't sound like anything that was on the radio at the time. It didn't sound like anything you would think would come from from Dr. Dre either. You know, it sounded like a New York kind of, and plus it's featuring Rakim. I mean, yeah, yeah, but that was perfect too. Bringing Rakim. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, why were they sued heavily? Oh, because of the sample. They didn't get the clearance, proper clearance for that sample. Which sample? and so the song itself. Oh, no. Also, Static Major uh, wrote the song lyrics. You know, um, Steve Static Major, Garrett? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also wrote it. But copyright holders, Saragama and India Limited issued a cease oh. and desist order, which went unheeded. And so on September 12, 2002, they filed a $500 million lawsuit Ooh. against Aftermath and parent company Universal Group and filed an injunction to pre- prevent further performances or broadcasts of the addictive song at the end of 2002 the song still was ranked as the ninth best of the year and jokingly awarded it the title best use of an illegal sample (laughs) (laughs) but i mean because like you said nothing sounded like that because they used that sample yeah was it worth it was it worth it i think it was yeah was I mean because because like we we're talking about it right now on this podcast so I mean obviously it was so needless to say you know even though there was a bunch of controversy behind it like we've said all of a sudden nothing sounded like that song when it first came out it was it two thousand one two thousand you know and then have, and then so, to have so. hip hop legend like Rakim on right. the track who we hadn't heard anything since like almost like the late eighties. You, you, it was it was a recipe for greatness. Well, we had heard from him since the eighties. We we had still heard from him, by the way. But just to be specific on on the sample, it's Stoda Rasham Lagda High. It's a 1981 song by Indian singer Lata Mangashkar, and it was from a 1981 movie, Joyoti or whatever. Yeah, um, I, don't think, 
I don't think anybody cares, Byron. Yeah, <laughs> but that was a no, sample. No, apparently, they cared. Sample. They yeah. sued for yeah, five hundred million yeah. dollars. Yeah, but did, yeah. but did that really hurt her because they used that sample? They still play the song, so it did, I mean, I still hear it played on the radio, right? Yeah, you hear it all the time on Channel Forty Seven. What is it? What is it? Is it the fly list, the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fly, all of those. Yeah, yeah. groove. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it did its thing, and I mean, it's gonna stand. It stand. It stand. Still the test of time. Yes. And it it's, yes. it's it's a hit. It was a hit. It's yeah, a hit. and and she probably would have had more hits had she stayed with Aftermath, but she left Aftermath, which was backed by a major label, and went to Pokey or Pookie Records, or I think it's called, which is and, Raphael Sadiq's entertainment label. And I love that track that Ready Ready Now. I love mm-hmm. that vibe. That album was called Ready Now, but the single itself was you know nice. It was uh, sexy. It was sophisticated. It was definitely a step up from where she was. So. It goes to show you, you have to have an engine really behind you to get you out there most times. And she's now still recording material for upcoming albums, just looking for the right backing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So ladies and gentlemen, that's going to end our this episode of this podcast as we pay our tribute to One Hit Wonders. We hope you had a great time. I know we did. Give you some of the best one-hit wonders over the past several years. Any parting words, guys? Oh, definitely check out the Good Good Experience on YouTube. We are still putting out some of our old episodes and our new episodes. And please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So, guys, until next time, don't be just good. Be good good to each other. Till next time, fellas. Love you, good, good family. Peace. Good, 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 good.